The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch, Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. And just like that, we're up to our final position preview, and you know we had to save the best for last. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Monday, February 27th. Frank Sample joined by Scott White. Today on the show, our 2023 relief pitcher preview we'll talk adp predicting saves leaders strategy all that fun stuff and let's jump right in scott because obviously there's lots of names lots of teams to talk about just want to start off with like the state of relief the state of saves in baseball right now and last season we had 1232 total saves it was the most we saw since 2018 222 different relievers with a save and i looked through the distribution to see okay where are, where are these saves coming from? And, you know, 30 plus, 20 plus, 10 plus, it all looks kind of similar to years past. So you know what that tells me? There's more relievers with single digit saves, which is really, really frustrating for fantasy. Uh, not necessarily that there's a lot of committees in baseball, but frankly, there's just not enough relievers that are good enough, right? So we're seeing bad teams kind of shuffle through multiple relievers throughout the season, all that fun stuff. And again, we'll talk about all those teams. Scott, with that being said, what are your thoughts on saves? You know, how it's kind of evolved over the past couple of years, past handful of years or so. And what is your strategy specifically in the five by five roto format? Yeah, so there are some committees. There are more committees than I mean, that's been a number that's steadily been increasing over the past few years. And they don't so much use the word committee anymore. They use words like leverage to describe these situations. Most bullpens have a higher leverage guy that would have traditionally been put in the closer role, but now a lot of teams are choosing to use that highest leverage guy whenever the the situation most calls for, whenever it's the highest leverage, perceived to be the highest leverage situation of the game, which may not be the ninth inning, it may be the eighth, it may be the seventh, it may be whatever. But then there are some bullpens, particularly on bad teams, like you were saying, Frank, that 
don't even have a clear leverage guy. Just there's nobody good. Yeah. And so they can't settle on any one reliever, whether it's to be a true closer or to be more of this this leverage guy type role. And um, I feel like that's that's been that's been one way that the position's changed in recent years because you know, usually even the bad teams would be able would have a good enough reliever to close, and then maybe they'd move him at the trade deadline, and and somebody else would step into that role for them. But there's just so many teams with nobody, nobody who really deserves that shot. The way I think it stacks up right now are uh, is this way: there are nine true closers, nine who you can expect to get basically every one of his team's save chances. So that's a little less than one-third of the league. And then there are six others who I feel pretty good about them being their team's closer. There are some more questions there. Uh, Maybe they have a little more competition. But either they were in the role last year or they were in the role at the very end of last year or there are there's like strong verbal support from their manager going into this year that they're the guy so that's nine plus six that brings us to 15 exactly half the league and then after that it's kind of a mess it's kind of a mess there are i think uh five others that i think have the clear advantage going into the season like they probably should be the guy but not a lot of faith in it happening so that brings us to what 15 plus 5, we're up to 20. So that leaves about a third of the bullpens in baseball that I just have basically no clue about who's going to be the the leading saves getter for them. So 20 that we feel either really strong about or at least have a pretty good guess, and then 10 where we have no clue. That's not a lot of save sources to go around. At least not a lot of confident safe sources to go around. So in those five by five leagues, and the deeper it is, the worse it is. We're seeing, especially those nine surefire closers, we're seeing them get pushed up in drafts. And some of those 15 teamers, uh, you might even see Edwin Diaz and Emmanuel Class A go in like round two, which yep. is crazy to me. I don't think <laughs> even amid the scarcity, there's a justification for passing up a high-end hitter, because, you know, high-end hitters are pretty scarce too, especially at uh, some of those positions we talked about in the other previews, third base, outfield, etc. And they contribute a lot more than just saves. So, you know, that's mostly NFBC where that happens. I think uh, as we've gotten more ADP data from other sources, we've seen that it's it's not the... the, the, the um, the feeling like you have to have an elite closer isn't as urgent at those other sources. But still, you're talking round four probably that those top two closers go off the board. And then those top nine are all probably gone by round eight or so. So if you want one safe source that you feel really good about, you're going to have to make a commitment pretty early. And I do want one that one of those nine that I feel like is a really strong bet for 30-plus saves. Uh, in the past, I might have been willing to pass them over and just take my chances with 
low-end perspective closers, maybe playing the waiver wire early in the season. But I've gotten burned enough by that in recent years that I, that I want that one stabilizing force that I know will keep me from just getting buried in saves while I try to fill in the gaps around him. So, you know, usually it's one of the last of the nine I'm taking, like a Felix Bautista or a Kenley Jansen. But I do want one of those nine in like a traditional Roto League. Now, different scoring formats, it's a different story. Yeah, we're going to get into those different formats coming up right now. And Scott, I agree. In 12-team leagues, I want one of those nine as well. I, I think we're probably on the same page on, on who those nine are. In a 15-team Roto League, I could probably stretch it out to that top 15 where you said, all right, we're pretty confident. The David Bednar, Clay Holmes, uh, Alexis Diaz group, Maybe I could make do with that as my RP1, but, you know, ideally, I think we we both want one of those top nine this year, and I agree. I mean, the the Edwin Diaz and Class A, I mean, those guys are ridiculous, but it's just not for me where they're typically going. Uh, we do have a little bit more perspective. There was a 15-team expert draft last week, uh, the Mixed League Labor Draft, and Edwin Diaz went at pick 33, and Class A went at 36, so... Not in the second round, but hey, you know, early to mid third round if you play in a 15-team league. How about in head-to-head points, Scott? There are very few uh, reliable Sparps this year. We'll mention all the names later on. The ones that stand out most, Spencer Strider is going to be likely a third, maybe early fourth-round pick in a 12-team head-to-head points league. Uh, And then Hunter Brown is going a little bit later on, will now be in the rotation with uh, the injury to Lance McCullers. So I think, uh, obviously, we like both of those guys, but what is your strategy in head-to-head points? Is it sell out to make sure you get Strider and then just fill in with whatever closer or what happens if you miss out on Strider? Do you put more of an emphasis to get one of those closers with a job on your team? Look, it'd be great to get Strider. I have higher priorities in the early round. Yeah. I definitely I, I definitely want to get an outfielder in round one, even in a points league, probably talking round two for a third baseman. Well, there's a chance, you know, like Austin Riley or somebody like that could slide till round three. So, I mean, I mean, they're higher priorities than Strider, and if somebody gets to him before me, I mean, the earliest I'd probably be able to look is like round four, maybe round three, and if somebody grabs him before that, oh, well, it's it's not the end of the world. I've never put a high emphasis on closers in head-to-head points leagues because typically you're talking, you know, 12 teams or fewer. You're talking just two devoted relief pitcher spots, not not – it's not a free-for-all where your pitcher spots, you can put a starter or a reliever there. There's just two where you can slot a reliever, which means they don't, you only need 24 to go around. And while I'm saying there's only 20 relievers we feel pretty good or better are going to be the primary source for saves, and then there are the two Sparps, Strider and Hunter Brown, that we think are worth drafting. You know, that's that's not 24, but the point is, with as much turnover as happens in this role all season long, there are going to be new options emerging on waivers in the in this format where there aren't that many that need to be rostered to begin with. You know, it's not like the perspectives are going to be stashed on somebody's bench ahead of time. They're going to be constantly emerging. You're going to be fine filling the role. So, yeah, I'd pay a nice price for for uh, uh, Spencer Strider, Hunter Brown. Right now, I think, is the only other Sparp that for sure needs to be drafted in a 12-team points league. There are some others we could talk about. Garrett Whitlock, Yusei Kikuchi, who had a very good first start in spring training. 
but they're more on the fringes. I don't think they have to be drafted as things stand now. So it would really just be Spencer Strider, Hunter Brown, if the price is appropriate. And if I don't get them, then unless somebody just falls into my lap, like, I don't know, Kenley Jansen's there in round 14 or something, unless something like that happens, I might just wait till the very end of the draft to fill my two relief pitcher spots and probably still get somebody like Jose LeClerc, um, maybe even a Craig Kimbrell will be there at that point. And they're not guys you can feel good about going into the year, but they're guys you can make do with until you find somebody you can be feel good about the way we did Ryan Helsley and Paul Seawald last year. I agree that in a head-to-head points league, relievers are not as high of a priority for me as they are in leagues where we need saves and 5 by 5 roto leagues, but I think I still want at least one decent one that I trust. Uh, and then you can kind of fill in the, uh, you know, fill in the holes there, fill in your second RP spot. But there's so many other things to kind of worry about. I mean, you want to get pitching, starting pitching depth in a head-to-head points league. Obviously, you know, we're, we're trying to fill up our hitter spots early this year. So uh, I get it. Yeah, you don't want to invest too much uh, in that position. They typically don't score as many points as other positions either, you know, uh, starting pitchers or elite hitters yeah. for that matter. I mean, I mean, the appeal of the SPARP right, is that a good starting pitcher is going to outscore a generic good closer, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, But you have to be a good starting pitcher, and I think sometimes in dress, people take the spark thing a little too far, and they're just throwing... Throwing draft picks at anyone, any starting, anyone who happens to have a rotation spot and also an RP designation by his name. And like a lot of them just aren't ever going to be worth using. Wait, you're telling me that you don't want to draft Brad Keller, Scott, as your spark this year? I do not. No. <laughs> a couple other names that I think are kind of interesting sparks just to know that they have the eligibility on CBS. Uh, Nick Martinez. I think actually could be pretty good in the Padres rotation. Uh, Seth Lugo as well with the Padres. I don't know how stretched out he's going to be going into the season, but apparently he's going to start. Uh, Ryan Yarbrough has SPARP eligibility. You mentioned Kikuchi. Vince Velasquez with the Pirates. Is, we're, we're, we're getting into the dumps here. Uh, Matthew Boyd with the Tigers and, and Trevor Williams with the Washington Nationals. Let's talk about head-to-head categories league, Scott. And uh, this is basically the Wild West. Like Every league feels like it's completely different in head-to-head categories. There are leagues where there is either no weekly innings minimum or a very low weekly innings minimum. And in leagues like that, we've heard of the Marmola strategy where basically you use your first 10 rounds, your first 10 draft picks on hitters, and then you load up on closers and other relievers with great ratios. You punt wins in that format, uh, but then you hope that your ratios are really good. If you have these guys pitching, you know, every day or every other day, should compete in strikeouts, uh, and then obviously you're getting a bunch of saves too. So what are your thoughts on head-to-head categories, and have you ever or would you ever try the Marmola strategy? It's so funny to me that you refer to it as the Marmol strategy. I didn't Carlos coin it, Scott. Marmol Someone else being, coined it. I don't know who did, but it wasn't me. <laughs> Carlos Marmol last had 20 saves in 2012, and his career whip was 1.35. So like, he wasn't even a great fit for the strategy named after him. Yeah, I approach pitching pretty normally in those formats. Closer to the rotisserie strategy I laid out than the the head-to-head point strategy, obviously, because saves is its own its own bucket that needs to be filled when in points leagues, the points you get from saves just go into the big T 
team-wide bucket of points. Uh, so it, it, it's more essential that you get enough of them in a head-to-head categories league, just like it is in a roto league. You know, it obviously it it depends on some degree whether you're setting lives weekly or daily, because if it's daily, you might want to even load up on more relievers so that you can uh, swap them in for starting pitchers on, on the days they're not making starts. I don't love daily lineup leagues to begin with because there's too much of that chicanery going on. But <laughs> if you happen to play in one, it is it is worth noting. Of the three scoring formats that we generally talk about, I, I would say investing in relievers is is most essential in head-to-head categories league. But it's more about it's more about quality to it's more about quality than quantity, provided the quantity. I'm sorry, it's more about quantity than quality, despite uh, provided that the quantity is at least pretty good. Like you don't want, you know, you want you don't want a bunch of Trevor Mays, but you want a lot of those mid-tier guys, I would say. Uh, it's funny you bring up Trevor May because I'll be talking about him a little bit later on in the podcast. And from the sound of it, Scott, it, <laughs> maybe we don't agree on Trevor May, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later on. Okay. Uh, in head-to-head in head-to-head categories leagues, uh, I do like to yeah I like to get two closers I feel pretty good about you know one of those top nine or top fifteen if I could that you mentioned and then uh, maybe you know two total of the top twenty right the ones that you know okay we're we're stretching it here but these are the ones that we have pretty good indication they're going to lead their team in saves and then after that I like to just grab good relievers right that go at the end of the draft you know that even if they don't give you saves they'll give you good ratios they'll give you strikeouts so you can plug those guys in on a daily basis with your closers and then you could just kind of mix and match your your starting pitchers in there as well what about saves plus hold league scott because these are really growing i think in popularity over the past decade or so obviously saves are harder to come by people are trying to find ways to you know supplement that and i think saves plus hold leagues are a way to do that we talked about it quite a bit on our most recent uh, mailbag podcast but for me it's basically just target talented relievers on good teams because they're going to win a lot of games and and hopefully you get a lot of holds as well and there's a lot of them so you shouldn't have to invest much in relief pitcher it's not worth paying the premium for a closer. Now, the saves leaders tend to have more saves than the holds leaders have holds. Yeah. So, you know, if you get two really high-end closers, you're going to compete in the category just as well as somebody who gets three setup men who record a decent number of holds. But what's the what's the relative investment in those two things? And it can be quite disparate and not worth paying in my mind we actually play we, we actually converted the head-to-head or i'm sorry the podcast for the people league the 16 team head-to-head league that heath cummings came up with so many years ago and he had a lot of weird rules in it so we were like yeah let's just throw another one in there let's change the saves category to save plus holds just so we could speak with a little more authority on this matter and even in a 16 team league like that it played out exactly the way i thought it would where it was very easy to find the holds guys you need to compete in the category from week to week without making any sort of investment. And you could basically just grab them off the waiver wire. Um, so I, I think it goes too far just as a, like just weighing the merits of the strategy itself. I think it goes too far in correcting the issue of, of saves frustration. I wish there was some kind of middle ground yeah. 
that I, I haven't seen anybody land on yet. I think the most interesting thing about the relief pitcher position is, is this hand wringing that we do over saves and who's going to get the next one and, and how viable is so-and-so in the role. I mean, it, it makes, it makes a position that could be very bland and boring. Uh, interesting. It gives a, us a lot to talk about with it. So I, I don't think that's altogether a bad thing, even though it does make us pull out our hair at times. Yeah, I, I mostly agree, Scott. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of saves plus holds. It kind of feels like a cop out because why the, Fantasy is getting too hard to just find saves. I mean, that's part of what makes fantasy baseball fun, right? I mean, we we need to have things that are harder to find, scarcities, and that's part of the strategy within the game. It's it's like people trying to eliminate tight end in fantasy football. I get it. it it's a bad position. They don't score very much, but it's part of the strategy. So I, I kind of like just going with saves than uh, saves plus holds. The holds leaders from last season, though, for what it's worth, A.J. Minter with the Braves, Brad Boxberger, who was with the Brewers. He's now with the Cubs. Uh, Kendall Graveman, who could close now that uh, Liam Hendricks is not likely to pitch, at least at the start of the season, maybe not. Uh, all season uh, at all. Devin Williams, um, who's now the closer, likely closer for the Brewers. Zach Jackson with the Oakland A's, and then Hector Neris and Rafael Montero. Uh, I will have some more holds targets for you later on in the podcast. What we're going to do now is we're going to take a break. We'll take our first break, and then when we come back, we'll uh, run through each bullpen and and give you our prediction on who we think will be the saves leader on each of those teams. We'll do that next on Fantasy Baseball Today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Scott, let's uh, run through each team and see what we could do in predicting uh, each team's saves leader this upcoming season. Let's not spend too much time on this. You know, just a name. I mean, if you if you got to analyze it, go ahead. But we'll save that for when we get to ADP. For the Baltimore Orioles, I think if healthy, we assume it's Felix Bautista, correct? Yes. All right. He should be a good one. Yep. For the Boston Red Sox, Kenley Jansen, who they signed this offseason. Yep. The Yankees, Clay Holmes. Uh, I think. I feel pretty good about yeah it. he's not one of the nine but he's one of the 15 yeah i would agree with that tampa bay i think the likely leader is pete fairbanks though jason adam was a really good reliever last year as well yep for toronto we've got jordan romano who obviously has been awesome the past couple of years he's got 59 saves over the past two years uh for the white Sox, this one's interesting again so liam hendricks is uh, was diagnosed with non-hodgkin's lymphoma this offseason so obviously that takes precedence over baseball, fantasy baseball. You know, we're rooting for Hendricks. Hopefully he gets back on the field uh, and gets healthy, obviously. Uh, but that leaves two names here that I think stand out. It's got Kendall Graveman versus Ronaldo Lopez. Yeah, I agree. It's between those two. Slight edge to Graveman right now, but that's one of the 10 bad situations. For Cleveland, very obviously, Emmanuel Class A was the saves leader last season. For the Tigers, I think the obvious candidate is Alex Lang, though we don't know for sure. That would be my guess as of now. Yeah, good swing and miss stuff. Pretty erratic, though. Uh, I, I just don't know who else it would be. It's it's one of the 10 bad situations, but it's one of the better of the 10 bad situations. For the Kansas City Royals, it 
was likely going to be Scott Barlow. And then the team signed Aroldis Chapman this offseason, not for much money. I think it was like three or four million dollars. But the new Royals manager, Matt Quattrero, came over from the Tampa Bay Rays, where typically they've used multiple relievers. So what is your guess as of now, Scott, for Kansas City? I mean, it's it's still Barlow. It's uh, it's not one of the 15. It is one of the 20. So he's, he's in that group of five that don't have a ton of confidence he's going to be the guy, but like he's the obvious favorite to be the guy. For the Minnesota Twins, it's a pretty frustrating situation because Yoan Duran is amazing, and he's probably one of the five or ten best relievers in baseball, but the Twins typically play this arbitration game, and they traded for Jorge Lopez last year, who was not good with them. It was, yeah. Yeah, th- this, and, this one's tough for me, Scott. And, and by the end of September, Duran was pretty consistently the ninth inning guy, but I would guess just based on Rocco Baldelli and the Twins' history that uh, that Duran is used more in that high leverage role, which probably means he leads the team in, in saves, but um, you know more likely with somewhere between 15 and 20 than yeah. somewhere around 30. For the Houston Astros, as long as he's healthy, Ryan Presley should be the leader there. For the Angels, this is one of those messy ones, Scott. Carlos Estevez, who they signed from the Rockies this offseason. Jimmy Hergett, who was the closer down the stretch. And then Matt Moore, who just signed recently uh, with the Angels. Yeah, but uh, their GM has vocally given his support for Carlos Estevez. He says it's ultimately up to manager Phil Nevin. But he is manager Phil Nevin's boss, so he's pointed out that Estevez's slider had a much better swinging strike rate away from Coors Field. The results uh, overall weren't that much better for Estevez away from Coors Field, but I, I don't know. GM seems to believe in him. It's one of the 10 bad closer situations as far as I'm concerned, but Carlos Estevez is rising the ranks within that group for me. Uh, I did have his numbers outside of Coors Field, which I brought up. On our mailbag podcast, Carlos Estevez away from Coors Field, 3.51 ERA, 1.26 whip, 9.5 K per nine, 2.7 walks per nine. It's it's okay. It's it's not like he's an elite reliever or anything outside of Coors Field. Next up, the Oakland A's, who we have a hodgepodge of Trevor May, Danny Jimenez, Zach Jackson, Domingo Acevedo. Yeah, this is terrible. It's one of the three or four worst closer situations. I think, I don't know, it sounds like you like Trevor May a lot. Um, I will, like, if I have to draft somebody from this bullpen, it'll be May, just just based on the wisdom of the masses. Although the only thing I've seen from an A's beat writer was speculation on her part that it'll go to Danny Jimenez, just because he's the one who held the role longest last year. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's it's messy, and it's on a really bad team, too. So uh, I get it, but I'll have more for on, on Trevor May later on. For the Mariners, we have Paul Sewald versus Andres Munoz. And it it's not the same as the Twins situation, Scott, because, yes, Munoz is awesome. Duran, both awesome. Paul Sewald's really, really good, too. Like, he's a lot better than Jorge Lopez. So It's so funny to me that on, like Andres Munoz is like the fantasy darling right now. Everybody wants him to, to claim the role for the Mariners. But that's kind of who Paul Sewald was last year, and <laughs> he was used consistently enough to get to twenty saves. And now we're wanting to move on from him. You know, it'll probably be a split role between the two, but I would definitely give the edge to Barlow. 
or I'm sorry, to uh, to Seawald. I was looking at the wrong name. I would definitely give the edge to Seawald going into the season just because of how much Scott Service relied on him last year. And they both had surgeries in the offseason. Seawald is ahead of Munoz in his recovery. Sounds like they'll both be ready for opening day, but you know it's a little harder to uh, put that much pressure on Munoz when he's barely getting in under the gun. For the Texas Rangers, we have Jose LeClerc, Joe Barlow, Jonathan Hernandez, and Brock Burke. Similar to the Angels situation, Scott, we have heard from Bruce Bochy. It's a fluid situation, but the first name he mentioned was Jose LeClerc. Yeah. It's one of the 10 bad closer situations, but it's like LeClerc's the one I'm coming the closest to bumping up to the next tier. I'm starting to get more confidence with him. Uh, Rangers GM has kind of singled him out as the best choice to close too. And I mean, by the numbers he is as well. So it's, it's kind of a three prong, three prongs in his favor, LeClerc's favor. For the Atlanta Braves, likely Rysel Iglesias, correct? Yeah. For the nine. For Miami, I think another messy situation here, new manager, Skip Schumacher. He says they're going to go closer by committee. They're going to play the matchups. They've got Dylan Floro, Tanner Scott, Matt Barnes, and AJ Puck. Yeah, this is almost as bad as the A's situation based on what Skip Shoemaker's saying. If I had to draft one, I'm not even sure. I kind of want to say Dylan Floro just because he was the guy at the end of last year and you know didn't wasn't wasn't bad in the role. But I'm kind of getting the feeling Matt Barnes they might try him there. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he has experience in the role and looked good at the end of last season. So with the Red Sox still at that point. I think I'm most excited about A.J. Puck. I mean, he finally stayed healthy last year for Oakland, and he was good. And he picked up some saves down the stretch for them, too. It's really not a a situation that I want to attack, but uh, Puck is kind of interesting to me. He's the best reliever they have. I think think they wouldn't want to compromise his multi-inning eligibility by making him closer. Fair. But we'll see. For the Mets, very obviously, Edwin Diaz, who they gave a big extension to this offseason. For the Phillies, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Craig Kimbrell, who they signed for $10 million, and Jose Alvarado. Are you following the money here, Scott? Yeah. I, I mean, they're kind of indicating it's going to be a committee, and Kimbrell said he's open to not being a true closer. But I think if Kimbrell is 2021 Kimbrell as opposed to 2022 Kimbrell, I, I have a hard time believing he wouldn't settle into that role pretty early on. So I am treating him as one of the 20 that are at least, that we at least feel kind of good about going into the year as opposed to one of those 10 bad ones. All right, next up we have the Nationals, which I would guess it's Kyle Finnegan. He had a velo jump last year. I don't know how good he actually is, but they don't really have many other options. Yep. That's exactly it. Carl Edwards, Hunter Harvey, who used to be the Orioles closer in waiting but couldn't stay healthy. I, I got to believe Finnegan's going to get the worst shot, but it won't, be, it won't be pretty. For the Cubs, we saw Brandon Hughes down the stretch last season. Then the team signed Michael Fulmer and Brad Boxberger this offseason. Albert Alzali has some interesting skills. His numbers as a reliever have actually been pretty good. Uh, and yep. then Rowan Wick is still around too, so... Yeah, I get. I would guess Hughes from this group, but him being the only left-hander in the mix hurts his chances. Alzali is like the the super sleeper. It's it's sort of like Puck's situation where he has that multi-inning eligibility that would be wasted in the closer role. 
but he looks like he could be really effective in it if the Cubs decide to go that route. For the Reds, we have Alexis Diaz. He's the brother of Edwin Diaz, and we have had confirmation this offseason that he'll be the Reds' closer to start the Thank year. Thank goodness, yes. <laughs> For the Brewers, it's Devin Williams. For the Pirates, it's David Bednar. For the Cardinals, likely Ryan Helsley, but that was closer to a 50-50 split than I think people realized with Gallegos last year. Well, it was Gallegos yeah, it was, who started, and then they went to Helsley, and then they kind of mixed it yeah, up a little bit. That's that's the thing is... Uh, it was front-loaded for Gallegos and back-loaded for Helsley. Yeah. So I, I don't have Helsley among the nine. You could make the argument he is. I, I think by ADP, he goes ahead of some of the nine. Yeah, he does. Uh, but I have him in that next group of six that I feel, I, I still feel pretty darn good about. Diamondbacks, yuck. Kevin Ginkle, Joe Mantiply, Mark Melanson, Scott McGuff, Andrew Chafin, Miguel Castro. Scott, I think this is the hardest bullpen this offseason. <laughs> It's it's up there, yeah. Uh, uh, unlike maybe the the Marlins and the Cubs and the Athletics, I think there's a chance the diamond like somebody could emerge of this group. Uh, it could be Melanson. They're still paying him. Yeah, it could be him, and obviously he has a long track record of success in the closer. Kevin Ginkle. Showed some good signs in last September, and Joe Mantiply was the the Diamondbacks' lone All Star representative last year. He, he's a left hander, which makes it harder to get him in the closer role. But they went and signed Andrew Chafin this off season, so it could be any of them. It could be Scott McGuff, who was a closer in Japan the past couple of years and did well, <laughs> or it could be none of them. It's it's obviously not a bullpen situation that I'm looking to invest heavily in. I put out a poll on Twitter, Scott, asking who's going to lead the Diamondbacks in saves this year. People were responding that half the, at least half the names on that poll were not real human beings. We're not real players. So they just were, were not buying it. For the Rockies, it is Daniel Bard. For the Dodgers, for the first time in a while, doesn't seem like they have a true closer, at least not for now. Evan Phillips, Daniel Hudson, Alex Vesia, Bruce Dar Gratterall. Yeah, I think Daniel Hudson's the... Main one I take here, but I have him and Evan Phillips back to back. I, I, I lean Hudson because it looked like they were getting ready to install him in the role till he got hurt last spring, and that's when they traded for Kimbrel. Um, but now, obviously, Daniel Hudson's coming back from a major injury, and I just wonder if the Diamondbacks, you know, they're they're run by the sort of data heads that have probably been dying to install a a, a true closer committee and. They've just always had the luxury of having Kenley Jansen or Craig Kimbrell, so they haven't gotten the chance. Yeah. Uh, but if anyone emerges for the Dodgers, and they obviously have some good relievers, then that one, that that pitcher is going to be a big fantasy asset. For the Padres, it's Josh Hader, and then for the Giants, it is Camilo Doval. Though they did sign Taylor Rogers this offseason, their president Farhan Zaidi has given a vote of confidence to Camilo Doval uh, heading into the season. Before we get to ADP, just a reminder that we are going to six podcasts per week starting this week. So in your podcast feed, Monday through Saturday, Saturday will be a bonus mailbag every week leading up to the start of the season. And then we have a live 12-team Roto Mock Draft coming up this Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern time that we'll be streaming on YouTube. So come hang out. We'll have the draft room up, the draft board. You can follow along with the picks. Scott, Chris, and myself, Chris Towers, that is, not Welsh. Uh, Welsh will be on later on in the week, too. And then uh, we're thinking about getting a guest for that draft, but I haven't you know, I haven't found anyone uh, 
yet. So we'll see. Uh, make sure to subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. We really appreciate it. Let's get into relief pitcher ADP. And Spencer Strider goes at pick uh, 34. So if you want him as a SPARP, you're looking at the third round. But for the most part, we're going to focus on the closers in ADP here. After Spencer Strider, we see four names going from ADP 40 through 73. So that's rounds four through six-ish in a 12-team league. And it includes Edwin Diaz at 40.6, Emmanuel Classe at 42.6, Josh Hader at 59, Jordan Romano at 73.2. Uh, Scott, obviously up top, Diaz, Classe, I think they very clearly have earned to be the top tier, the top two at the relief pitcher position. When you get to Josh Hader, man... Last year was kind of all over the place. The ERA winds up over five for the season. He had a 13-game stretch from mid-July to late August where he allowed 22 earned runs over nine innings pitched. That is a 22 ERA, a 3.44 whip. He actually lost his closer job for the Padres after they traded for him. Uh, But then he finished the season really strong. He didn't allow an earned run over his final 10 appearances in the regular season. And then... He was also nasty for five postseason games. So that is Josh Hader. He had some off-field things going on last year, too. A newborn child who had some complications. So look, this guy's human. Definitely something that could have played into uh, his struggles last season. But where are you at on Josh Hader, Scott? Are you back in? Do you trust him to be the hater of old? Yeah, I do. I think he's fine. I think at the time he had lost, at the time when he lost the role with the Padres, he was just all over the place, bouncing the ball, missing the catcher completely. It was like he had the yips. Yeah, almost, uh, which would be scary if he didn't get it resolved. But very clearly he did. Final 15 appearances, including the postseason, no earned runs, a .48 ERA, the usual Josh Hader strikeout rate. So, you know, it's I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly fine ranking him third, even if I would be unlikely to be the person to draft the number three closer, no matter who it was. Um, do you want to do the Edwin Diaz versus Class A comparison again? Because I would say that, like, Edwin Diaz is the best bet for strikeouts among relievers. Uh, 118 last year, at least one of them. I mean, Josh Hader, how close was Josh Hader? I know he's been around that before. Josh Hader had 81. Probably with all his issues, he didn't end up getting there. But he's he's been yeah. around that range before. Okay, so Edwin Diaz probably the safest bet for uh, strikeouts among closers, but Emmanuel Class A the best bet for saves. He was one of just two guys to exceed forty last year, right? Yep. And there are no threats to his role. He barely gets a strikeout per inning, but uh, the quality of contact against him is so poor. Just everybody hits that high velocity sinker into the dirt and uh, his ERA the past two years, Emmanuel class A is one thirty three. The reason I say he's a safer bet than Edwin Diaz for saves is because there were times in the second half last year where Buck Showalter used Edwin Diaz more like the high leverage guy used him in the eighth inning when the matchups warranted it and then brought in Adam Ottavino for the save that happened several times didn't get a lot of attention but buck showalter's still there adam Ottavino's still there and they brought in a third quality reliever right david robertson 
Yeah, David Robertson, who got a fair number of saves between the Cubs and Phillies last year. So that might happen again at times this year. And uh, when he has a saves total in the 30s, I mean, still a very nice saves total. So I guess what I'm trying to say is there's an argument for taking Class A ahead of Diaz, though I personally rank Diaz ahead myself. Yes, likewise. Jordan Romano, the other name here, Scott, uh, I think he's been rock solid, 59 saves over the past two seasons. Looks like he was helped out by the environment because he cut his home run to fly ball ratio in half last year. The only thing that I guess slightly concerning, his K per nine went down year over year, but his swinging strike rate was nearly identical, so... I think Jordan Romano is perfectly fine where he's going at 73. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's other relievers I'd take instead. Uh, I like Devin Williams more. Like, I, I see it as a class of, a, a tier of four at the top. Edwin Diaz, Emmanuel Class A, Josh Hader, and Devin Williams, who I think will be right there with those others. Uh, he's just been, you know, he didn't take over as a closer till the second half last year, but he has been a, one of the best relievers in baseball since he broke into the league in 2020. It's just an unbelievable changeup, and I think he's a natural fit in the role. I also like Rysel Iglesias more than Jordan Romano, but that's that's a little more nitpicky. And um, you know, I'm I'm giving a lot of credit to Iglesias's track record there. After Jordan Romano, we have four more going from pick 76 to 101. So that's rounds seven through nine in a 12-team league. The aforementioned Devin Williams at 76, Ryan Presley at 85, Ryan Helsley. That's not confusing at all. Presley and then Helsley, same first name. 97 ADP for Ryan Helsley and Rysel Iglesias at 101.2. So uh, there you go. I mean, if you're just talking about value, Scott, if you can get Rysel Iglesias 30 picks after Jordan Romano, nearly 30 picks on average, and you're probably going to do yeah. that every time. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I like, I do like Iglesias more, and I'm surprised I haven't drafted him more because of that. I think I always wait just a hair too long. My only concerns with Devin Williams, Scott, is we've never seen him be the closer over the course of a full season. The control has always been an issue, and I say issue over four walks per nine, but even with that, his ERA and whips have still been really, really good, so yeah. he succeeds in spite so. of that. The velocity scares me a little bit, Scott, because his fastball went from 95.3 miles per hour in 2021 to an average of 93.9 last year. So to lose 1.4 miles per hour of velocity, it's a little concerning. So I, I have not been drafting Devin Williams myself. I'd, I'd rather wait a little bit and, and get the Iglesias's of the world kind of like you. So. I mean, still 14.2K per nine last yeah, year. Yeah, that's why. Like, we didn't see it affect his production, but it's just something in the back of my mind where I kind of worry about it, you know? I mean, what relievers are capable of 14.2K per nine? Which, <laughs> by bad. the way, was the low mark of the last three years. So, so uh, last three years, 15K per nine for Devin Williams. So, well, Hayter's capable of that. Diaz is capable of that. It's about it, right? Mm, yeah. I mean, I guess we could talk about Ryan Helsley. He was the breakout reliever last year, but even with him, he was he was at 13K per nine. So not like the 14, 15 we're talking about with Devin Williams. Uh, who do you prefer between the Ryans here? Presley, 59 saves over the past two years. He was really good. The swinging strike rate bounced back up last year. Uh, just a few concerns for Presley is that his velocity also down one mile per hour. He has these recurring knee injuries. He's 34 years old, so he's a little bit up there. Um, and then Helsley, again, breakout reliever. He was amazing last year. 125 ERA, 0.74 whip. 
Uh, fastball velocity jumped two miles per hour year over year. He vastly improved his control. But I kind of worry, like, can Ryan Helsley maintain those things? We don't know for sure. Can he maintain this velocity? Can he maintain the control? Uh, is he going to get all the saves for the Cardinals? So I, I have some yeah. legit question marks with him. Yeah, me too, which is why he's not among the nine. Ryan Presley is among the nine. Yeah. Uh, the concern for him is durability, I think, because he usually misses some time with a knee issue. Uh, last year, he he got 33 saves, but he threw only 48 in a third innings. And so you just kind of have to factor that in with him. It's why I prefer Felix Bautista. You know, I, I say Felix Bautista <laughs> is the better bet durability-wise. He's the one dealing with an injury this spring. But I, I think he's going to be fine. And um, Presley's track record with that is... It's long-standing, so I think you have to factor it in. Rice Iglesias is the only name we haven't really talked about. The ADP is 101.2. He struggled a bit with the Angels, but then once he got traded to the Braves last season, 28 games, he had a 0.34 whip, 0.80, uh, no, 0.34 ERA, excuse me, 0.84 whip, 10K per nine. The walk rate was much better. He changed his pitch mix, too, which was interesting. He basically swapped his slider and changeup usage, so... I don't know if that's something the Braves figured out, but hey, it worked. Iglesias was amazing. You are muted, Scott. Sorry, too much coughing. (laughs) Yeah, he was amazing. And the way he performed with the Braves is closer to the way he's performed in his entire career as a closer. It brought his season ERA down to 247. Um, The highest mark he's had as a reliever yeah, it was 416 in 2019, but other than that, it's it's always been around 2-5, very consistent. And the strikeouts are always, uh, it's always a nice strikeout rate, nice strikeout total for Iglesias. In 2021, he broke 100 strikeouts. So he, I, I think he's very reliable. Certainly the Braves are in a position to provide him with a ton of save chances without much competition at the back end of the bullpen. And I, I have a lot more faith in him than than ADP shows here. The next group of relievers ranges from picks 104 to 150. We have Felix Bautista, the mountain, at 104.4. Kenley Jansen at 106.4. Camilo Doval at 112.2. And then you see a big drop. Nearly 40 picks to get to Clay Holmes. So Camilo Doval is a clear, like, the end of a tier, at least in terms of ADP. And then Clay Holmes, 40 picks later, at 149.6. Uh, Scott. Yeah, they probably shouldn't be that far apart. I have them in the same tier. Yeah. Uh, I was a little skittish about Holmes heading into the offseason because he kind of, it was, it was a tale of two halves for him. So, um, first half for Clay Holmes, a 0.46. It was for thir- first 38 appearances, let's say. 0.46 ERA, 0.74 whip, made the all star team, looked like one of the best relievers in baseball. Why would they ever give a role to Chapman his job back, et cetera, et cetera. But then his final 24 appearances, a 592 ERA and 148 whip. So I was worried that the Yankees might do something about that. But they didn't. They didn't. In effect, Aaron Boone has confirmed that Clay Holmes is more or less their closer. He says they'll use him sometimes earlier in games when the situation calls for it. It's the standard line that managers use these days. Uh, and I'm sure the Giants, the same goes for them with with Camilo Duvall. So um, I have them in the same tier. I definitely prefer Felix Bautista to both. His ADP may be suffering a bit because of that 
health issue he has this spring. It's a shoulder shoulder and knee injuries, but he threw a bullpen on Saturday, February 25th at 80 to 85%, and he felt fine the next day. So we're trending in the right direction. Yeah. So after they traded their uh, Jorge Lopez to the Twins, who was their breakthrough closer, all-star, uh, it was like, okay, well, they're clearly they're not serious about this contention thing. But Felix Bautista stepped in the role and was just a natural at a 219 ERA for this season long numbers, 219 ERA, 0.93 whip, 12.1 K per nine as a rookie, by the way. And he, um, he got a real theatrical, gets a real theatrical closer entrance yeah. in Camden Yards. They yeah. play the, the Omar from the wire whistling, uh, the farmer in the Dell, like he does in the show. And then Felix Bautista steps out of the bullpen, jogs to the mound. The crowd's going nuts. <laughs> it's, it's pure theater and a good indication that the Orioles think they have their man as they enter a more con- contentious phase. Is contentious the right word there? They intend to contend. Yeah, that probably makes more sense. Um, did you watch The Wire, Scott? I'm assuming you did, if you know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't. I, I probably should change that, right? It's good. It's um. Does it get overhyped? I feel like it might. Even, I, I think I, how it How can does. I say I haven't seen it, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm talking. Tonight. I think it does. It's not like I like, I like, I like a show where you watch an episode and you can't wait to watch the next episode, right? Because it's just like the drama is so like edge of your seat, like The Wire kind of plays things a little too straight for me if that makes sense like they don't it doesn't play up the drama quite enough Mm -hmm. uh, to really grab me but it's good I mean I'm not gonna say it's not good Kenley Jansen is the only other name here he signed a two-year 32 million dollar deal with the Red Sox very clearly their closer and they've needed one for the past couple of years Uh, he leads baseball with 79 saves over the past two years kenley jansen does the swinging strike rate did take a big step back last year but still 11.95 k per nine Uh, the era a little bit inflated but uh, i i have a lot of trust in kenley jansen the only thing scott the third slowest pitcher in baseball last year in terms of tempo do you worry about that uh with kenley jansen and now the new pitch clock coming in which Look, over the weekend, I mean, if you go on Twitter, everyone's losing their minds about this pitch clock thing. And it's like, I get it. It's going to take some time for everyone to get used to the players, like people watching the game. But I mean, I feel like the reaction's been just as positive as anything else. I don't know, man. Like, and having, were, having watched a game myself, I mean, like, it's noticeable. Yes. How much is. faster it moves. It's like watching a. Like it's like video game speed. The games were around. Great. The games were around two and a half hours, Scott, on average. Yeah. This weekend. Yeah. Do you think that could affect Kenley Jansen though? I mean, I've heard that said for a lot of relievers, Giovanni Gallegos. Yeah. I think Amila Duvall. I saw there was some hand wringing over that. I. I think research showed that it didn't impact pitchers much in the minors. It wasn't really as much of a concern as it was made up to be. And I, I think they'll figure it out. There may be an odd case where it does ruin somebody, but people are being ruined all the time for all manner of reasons. 
the top five slowest pitchers in terms of tempo last season. Jonathan Loisigo with the Yankees, Giovanni Gallegos, Kenley Jansen, Kyle Finnegan with the Nationals, and Devin Williams, who we spoke about earlier. Just after Clay Holmes, the next four from picks 151 to 169. We've got David Bednar at 150.8, Daniel Bard at 161.8, Scott Barlow at 165.4, and Yoan Duran of the Minnesota Twins down at 169.4. Uh, Scott, one name, I guess two names, the two, David and Daniel up top here. We haven't really talked much about them. Bednar was great last year, but he missed six weeks with lower back inflammation. I always kind of worry about the Pirates trading him away too, but he's under team control through 2027, so that's probably not going to happen. Like It would take a pretty big haul for them to move David Bednar. Yeah, I think so. At, at this stage of his career, he's still pre-arb, and I, I think they consider him a major asset. So something, something you have to consider. Um, I've been weighing whether I like him or Alexis Diaz more. I have Bednar ahead of my rankings just because that's where he started out. It's very college football rankings kind of situation. <laughs> but um, I don't know. Alexis Diaz might be better. And I mean, the Reds are bad too, but who would you expect to finish ahead in that division? The Reds or the Pirates? Uh, I, think, I think probably the Reds, right? Can I say neither? Somebody's got to. Probably. Somebody's got to be a little better than the other. Probably the Reds, but it is a worse ballpark. And Alexis Diaz gives up a lot of fly balls and walks a lot of guys. I like Diaz, but I think Bednar, skills wise, is a little bit better. Maybe a little bit more risky because of the uh, the injuries. Daniel Bard's got uh, amazing bounce back season. Thirty four saves, one point seven nine ERA, zero point nine nine WHIP. He changed his pitch mix last year. He uh, went to a uh, sinker, so you know, getting a lot more ground balls last year. I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work as a right-handed pitcher uh, with the, the new shift restrictions and obviously pitching in Coors Field. I mean, he's not going that high in draft, Scott, but there's just something that worries me about a Colorado closer who, it, you know, just two years ago had an ERA up over five, so... Well, where did he finish in last year's rankings with his 34 saves, 179 ERA, 0.99 whip? I'm sure he finished much higher than where he's being drafted right now. Exactly. So, I mean, the concerns you have, everybody shares, and right. um, his ADP is, it is, is what it is yeah. as a result. So he's the last of that group of 15 where I can say with a lot of confidence, okay, this is, this is probably this team's closer. So he, he's in that group, and, and that... I think his ADP uh, is justified considering, but there's a chance he, like it's it's the sort of thing where he's probably not going to deliver on his ADP exactly. He's either going to way overperform it like last year, or he's just going to be a disaster because he's 37 year old with a very spotty track record pitching at Coors Field. Mm-hmm. They did give him a long term deal before last year was done, so clearly they like what they see, but. That doesn't mean much coming from the Rockies. Daniel Bard in five by five roto leagues last year finished 100, 100th overall. So you're getting, yeah, he's going 62 spots after that in, in terms of ADP this year. Scott Barlow, the only other thing I wanted to add on him, the numbers were solid last year. He had 24 saves with the Royals. Fastball velocity went from 95.3 miles per hour in 2021 to 93.6. So we're talking almost two miles per hour difference. And 
maybe the Royals realize that too. And look, not that a role to Chapman has been great the past couple of years, but you know, maybe that's why they brought Chapman in is they've noticed this velocity drop for Scott Barlow as well. Let's take one more break. And then when we come back, we'll get to more ADP and then sleepers, breakouts and busts here on fantasy baseball today. All right, after Yoan Duran, five more names going from picks 176 to 237.6. So this is, it's starting to open up. This is obviously a very big range. I know I've been doing groups of four. I actually missed Alexis Diaz, the first run through ADP. So I had to just kind of stick him back in here. Uh, Diaz is going at 176.2. Andres Munoz at 199.2. Uh, Liam Hendricks actually goes right around 200, but... He's been plummeting for obvious reasons. Paul Sewald at 209, Pete Fairbanks at 226, and Jose Leclerc at 237.6. Scott, there are a lot of names here. Are there? Is there one or two that you find yourself targeting most? Uh, so is Alexis Diaz a part of it or not? Yeah, Alexis Diaz, Munoz, Paul Sewald, Pete Fairbanks, Jose Leclerc. Okay, yeah, Diaz, I mean, is the one I want the most. He's part of the 15, and... Um, I imagine his ADP is going up now that we've gotten the confirmation from David Bell that he is the team's closer. Uh, so apart from him, this gets into that next group of five where we at least have a, a, a leader in the clubhouse heading into the season. It's We don't feel super comfortable he's the closer, but he's at least the leading candidate. So Munoz is kind of a special case. Like I said, he's the darling ratios pick who everybody hopes will overtake Seawald, but he's, he's probably the least likely. I, I, the one I'm least likely to target from this group. Seawald, Fairbanks and Duran are all very exciting in terms of what they could be. I just don't have faith that they're going to break through and become a regular enough closer to approach 30 or even 25 saves. I mean, we've, they all at toward the end of last season looked like maybe they were stepping into that role. And so it's possible, but we've been suckered into that bet so many times in the past, especially with the Rays. Uh, Fairbanks looks like their best reliever, but you, you know, at this time last year, Andrew Kittredge did uh, year before, it was Nick Anderson, right? Although I wonder, in both of those cases, they got hurt really early on. So yeah, I wonder if they hadn't, maybe maybe things would have played out like we hoped. I'll probably take, like, for my second reliever, maybe third, if, if things are going really well. I'll probably take one of those three, Fairbanks, Seawald, uh, and uh, Duran, just whoever happens to be available the latest and uh, hope that they can emerge as more. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't go into the season expecting much more than 15 to 20 saves for many of them. I've been winding up with either Diaz or Fairbanks as my second reliever in pretty much all of my Roto category leagues this, this offseason. So get one of those top 9 or 10, and then I'm kind of coming back into this range a little bit later on for my second reliever. The next group starts with Hunter Brown at an ADP of 242 if you want that SPARP in a head-to-head points league on CBS, but he is going to move up now that Lance McCullers got hurt. So I'm guessing, if not right around 200, inside the top 200 for Hunter Brown. Jorge Lopez has an ADP of 262.6, Evan Phillips of the Dodgers at 267, Craig Kimbrell of 289, and Sir Anthony Dominguez at 289.4. So 
Scott, if you want to take a Phillies reliever, you've got to decide which one you want because they are basically going yeah. at the same point of the draft. Yes, they are. Uh, I think Trent Kimbrell's the one to take, like we were saying with the team-by-team breakdown. I think it's unlikely that Sir Anthony Dominguez is the closer for the Phillies. He may be the leading saves source if Kimbrell is as bad as he was last year. But I think it would definitely be part of a committee in Dominguez's case and in Kimbrell's case. Hopefully not. So I, I you know, I, I like Dominguez's numbers. I think he could, would be a great closer, but I, I just don't think it's going to play out that way for the Phillies. So I definitely prefer Kimbrell of the two. The Dodgers closer situation now that we've got Evan Phillips here in this group is going to be, I think it's one of the things we should be watching closest this spring for any kind of hint of what direction Dave Roberts is leaning, leaning, leaning there. Last year, Evan Phillips had a 114 ERA, 0.76 whip, 11K per nine. I mean, just ridiculous numbers. He'd be great as a closer. But like I said, I, I, I feel like Daniel Hudson may have a slight leg up. But let's keep our ear to the ground because maybe we'll find out. Maybe that suspicion will be confirmed or refuted, in which case we can pursue Phillips even heavier than he's going here. You mentioned the numbers that Evan Phillips had last year, Scott. He was fourth highest in war among all relievers last season. Kind of a weird, you know, 28-year-old mid-career breakout, but he did something different. He introduced a new cutter that he used 27% of the time, and uh, he also used his slider more than any other pitch. So he, he made a conscious change, and, and obviously it was for the best for Evan Phillips. Real quickly on Jorge Lopez, he did have 23 saves between the Orioles and the Twins last season, but in 23 games with Minnesota, 4.37 ERA, 1.63 whip, 7K per nine, 5.56 walks per nine with a nine and a half percent swinging strike rate. So I have not drafted Jorge Lopez and probably am not going to change that. I'd, I'd much rather just take a shot on like yeah. the Phillies guys or even pitchers going later on in the draft. Personally. Yeah, his his ADP seems out of whack here. I, I think there's a case to take him in very deep roto leagues where you have to grab all these potential save sources late just in the hope you land on something. But that's that's uh you know we're not close to that range by ADP. That would include guys like uh Reynaldo Lopez or Roldis Chapman or even like Giovanni Gallegos. I think Jorge Polo- Lopez Jorge Lopez belongs more in that group in terms of where we're where you should draft them. Were you about to combine Jorge and Pablo Lopez, Scott? I don't even know. <laughs> Possibly. Right, let's get into sleepers, breakouts, and busts. And I guess I'll start us off, Scott, with my sleeper, who is Trevor May of the Oakland A's. He's got an ADP of 329 over the last two weeks. And basically, just following the money here, the A's gave Trevor May one year, $7 million, and they typically do not spend much money at all. So I do think he will get the first crack at being the closer. Will he succeed? That remains to be seen. For Trevor May, I know at first glance, last year the numbers were very bad. But he was dealing with a triceps injury, and once he returned, he had a 3.24 ERA, 1.20 whip. The whip is high. 13.5K per nine, 15.8% swinging strike rate over his final 18 games. So I think there's something there with Trevor May uh, out in Oakland. So uh, he's going very late. I'll pick him up as like my third or even like a bench speculative closer in those deeper category leagues. Scott, a sleeper for you. 
And yeah, like I was saying earlier, I'm gaining a lot of confidence in Jose Leclerc, just the way both his manager and his GM are talking about it. You look at the numbers last year, first year back from Tommy John's surgery, Leclerc had a 283 ERA, 113 whip, 10.2 K per nine. The walk rate was kind of high and has always been kind of high for him. But uh, this is it's last year before free agency, so it's not like they have to worry about protecting a salary. If anything, they want them accumulating saves to turn them into a, pen- a potential trade asset in case they're out of it at the deadline. But the Rangers may not be out of it at the deadline, and if that's the case, then Leclerc's piling up a lot of saves for them in all likelihood. His control could blow up the whole thing and, and uh, make him another one of the many casualties we see at relief pitcher every year. But for the price, I don't think you need to worry about that. I think you're getting a pretty strong front runner for the closer role and someone who's talented enough to hold on to the job. For a team, that's not half bad. How was my Trevor May analysis, Scott? Did I talk you into him? I mean, he's just never been a closer caliber reliever before. Uh, allows too many base runners in general. I don't know. I guess there was that two-year period in Minnesota 2018, 2019, where you look at those numbers and you could yeah, say, yeah, I could see a closer there. Yeah. But it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. His ERA over the last three seasons, 397. His whip, 1.28. I mean, that's that's not, uh, you know, it's not like there's anyone in the athletics bullpen who's definitely better than that. But yeah. it's... You know, even if even if they start out with Trevor May in the role, I'm not confident he's going to hold on to it. And if he's performing well, he's very likely being traded at the deadline. So, I, you know, if it all works out for Trevor May, what is the upside? 15 to 20 saves. All right. I mean, if he does that with solid ratios and 12 K per nine, 11, 12 K per nine, then, yeah, he's he's definitely worth where he's going. Breakout for me is Pete Fairbanks at 226. Scott, I know you mentioned you, you cautioned us of what the Tampa Bay Rays like to do and. I feel like I get sucked into this every year. Last year, I liked dra- drafting Andrew Kittredge. So I know typically Tampa Bay goes with this closer by committee and they, they play the matchups and all that stuff. But also following the money here. Again, like Tampa Bay doesn't spend much. They gave him a three-year, $12 million extension. So they're buying controlled. buying out the remaining um, you know arbitration years for yep. Pete Fairbanks. And something like that leads me to believe, okay, they're going to at least give this guy the, the first shot to close. And last year, I know it was only 24 innings, but, I mean, the guy was absolutely ridiculous. 1.13 ERA, 0.67 whip, 14K per nine, 17% swinging strike rate. Uh, he did leave his postseason appearance with numbness in his fingers, but uh, I read right around the time of the extension that he's healthy, he's good to go heading into 2023. So no concerns there. Uh, can he stay healthy? That remains to be seen. But pitching for a really good team. Even if Fairbanks only gives you 20 saves, if he does it with like the ratios and strikeouts he's capable of, he absolutely is a breakout for fantasy baseball purposes. Scott. So yeah, he's my breakout too. Yeah. Peter Fair Peter is as he's known on cbssports.com. Peter Peter Fairbanks. I don't know why I said Peter so weird. Peter. Um yeah, he's my breakout too. Your point about the the three-year deal and getting him cost-controlled, not having to worry about arguing against his save total in arbitration. I think it's a pretty big deal. And I was, I made the point earlier, Andrew Kittredge and, and Nick Anderson both got hurt. 
before we really had a chance to see what kind of role they'd be used in. I'm looking at Andrew Kittredge's game log last year. So he lasted through June 7th, made 17 appearances. All were either the 8th or the ninth inning. He never worked prior to the 8th. In those 17 appearances, he got eight save chances. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, eight uh, saves By Ray's through... standards. Eight, eight save, save chances. He got five chances. saves. He blew three saves. Ah, all right. Well, eight save chances through June. I mean, that's a no, that's not a, through June, through May. Through May. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's so a, that's like twenty four save chances. Okay. You figure he's not going to convert all those again. Like if he if Fairbanks gives you eighteen to twenty saves with the ratios and strikeouts, Scott, he's absolutely yeah paying off this price tag. And I think there's a, I, I I think it's. I mean, the Rays always come up with these relievers out of nowhere every year. I mean, who who was talking about Pete Fairbanks a year ago, right? But I, he's a good enough reliever that I could see him being the one who uh, Kevin Cash finally commits to in the role. I could see it. It's far-fetched, but, you know, even if he is just a 20 saves guy, he's worth it at this price. The bust for me at relief pitcher is Daniel Bard. I know he's going much later than where he finished last year. Breakout season, he was ridiculous, and there's something that explains it. He changed his pitch mix. He threw a sinker more, but just knowing that his floor, the floor is really low for every reliever, but knowing that just two years ago, we saw what the true floor was, an ERA over 5, 1.6 whip, control being an issue at times, turning 38 years old this year, and pitching in Colorado... It was an awesome season. Maybe he proves me wrong, but I will not be drafting Daniel Bard where he is going in drafts. Scott, a bust for you at relief pitcher. I guess I'm going to go with Scott Barlow, who's being drafted ahead of Daniel Bard. If Mike Matheny was still managing the Royals, totally cool with it, but uh, it's it's not like he's... Uh, it's not like Barlow isn't all that entrenched in the role. You know, he, he he finally settled into it last year. And especially with the, between the new manager who, you know, was on the race staff prior and the fact that they signed a role Chapman, who's one of the best closers of his generation to a one-year deal, presumably with an eye of flipping him at the deadline. I mean, they're going to get the most bang for the buck if he's settled back into the closer role for them. So I just... I think Barlow is uh, has a few different. There are a few different ways this could all go wrong for Barlow, and I'd need to get him for a pretty good discount. I think to make that investment. Scott, just give me a name. The relief pitcher that you are targeting most this season is blank. Kenley Jansen, because he's last of the nine. I know I didn't just give you a name, but that's why. <laughs> uh, it was Felix Bautista for me, but. I think I'm probably going to stick with it. If It sounds like he's healthy, yeah. and even if he starts to slip in ADP a little bit, I'm going to be even more inclined to draft Felix Bautista. So I'm just yeah. going to keep going with him. He's usually the second to last of the nine, so I get a <laughs> lot of them too. Sparps to know for this season. Mentioned them earlier, but I'll mention them once again. Spencer Strider with the Braves, Hunter Brown with the Astros, Nick Martinez and Seth Lugo with the Padres, Garrett Whitlock with the Red Sox, Ryan Yarbrough and Brad Keller with the Royals, Yusei Kikuchi for the Blue Jays, Vince Velasquez with the Pirates, Matthew Boyd with the Tigers, and Trevor Williams with the Nationals. 
players to target in holds leagues or saves plus holds leagues. These are guys that have great ratios and they play on uh, very good teams. Jason Adam with Tampa Bay. Eric Swanson with the Blue Jays. They acquired him in the offseason in the Teoscar Hernandez trade. James Karinchak with the Guardians. Rafael Montero and Brian Abreu with the Astros. AJ Minter with the Braves. David Robertson with the Mets. Matt Bush with the Brewers. Giovanni Gallegos with the Cardinals. Robert Suarez with the Padres. And Taylor Rogers with the San Francisco Giants. I'm, I'm going to say Joe Jimenez with the Braves, too. Okay. Yep. They traded for him this offseason. So clearly have some big plans for him as well. Let's wrap up with a few more names in, in terms of ADP. Scott, some guys that are going outside the top 300. These are, if you play in the deeper category leagues or. Even if you don't play in a deeper league, I mean, these are names that are probably going to be relevant at some point if you need saves throughout the season. ADP outside the top 300, this first group's got Carlos Estevez, uh, Giovanni Gallegos, Taylor Rogers, and Dylan Floro. Yeah, I would say Rogers and Floro are less interesting to me. They're you definitely could see a path to saves for both of them. Taylor Rogers with the Giants now is with his twin brother Tyler with the Giants, and of course he has a history closing. But it didn't go well last year, and Camilo Duvall seems entrenched, so it's not worth a heavy investment. The next group is Kyle Finnegan, Aroldis Chapman, Tanner Houck, who could turn into an interesting spark. Technically, he is a relief pitcher, but we don't know if he's going to be in the rotation or a reliever as of now. And then the other name is Jason Adam. Uh, one of these names is not like the other, Scott, because Kyle Finnegan is likely the closer for the Nationals to start. I have yep. questions about how good he actually is, but his swinging strike rate did jump last year, as did his velocity. It went from 95.6 miles per hour in 2021 to 97.1 last year. So that's yeah, kind of not a terrible. Uh, Kyle Finnegan isn't a terrible reliever, but he's the kind of reliever who only becomes the closer because he's on a rebuilding team. And so you can't imagine he has much job security. He's definitely the best of these four to draft just by virtue of being his team's closer. But I'm highly interested in Aroldis Chapman in deeper leagues for reasons I've already laid out. And I want to mention Jason Adams' numbers for as much as we've talked about uh, Peter Fairbanks. And it's Jason Adam, by the way, just a singular Adam, not multiple Adams. His numbers last year, 156 ERA, 0.76 whip, 10.7K per nine. I mean, we were for most of last year, I was hoping Adam would be the one to step into that role for the Rays, and then Fairbanks came in and kind of ended those dreams. But knowing the Rays, it could still happen. Mm -hmm. And something that I've done in a few uh, deeper draft and hold leagues, Scott, is wherever I would draft Pete Fairbanks, I would try to get Jason Adam on the same team. I don't know that I would recommend that and just a standard redraft league. But if you play in a deeper format like that, it's handcuffing those two rays. It's, I think it's pretty interesting because one way or another, I, I think one of those guys or even both could be uh, pretty valuable this season. Next up, we have Rafael Montero, Alex Lang, Trevor May, and David Robertson. Scott, Alex Lang is kind of the last man standing in, in Detroit. They traded Gregory Soto this offseason, and Lang throws really hard. He gets strikeouts. But sometimes he just doesn't know where the ball is going, and that's the yeah. issue for Alex Lang. Still, I'm surprised his ADP is this low. Like there was. Let me look at the last two weeks over at the NFBC and, and let you know what it is. Alex after, Lang. After Gregory Soto was traded, it seemed like uh, there was a little too much confidence 
from the fantasy baseball analysts of the world that Lang would be the one stepping in. The closer I look at it, the more I wonder who else it could be. But it's weird that his ADP is this low. Like, he should go ahead of Finnegan for sure. Mm -hmm. The last two weeks, actually, Lang and Finnegan are right around 230. So significantly higher. I mean, and according to fantasy pros, they're outside the top 300. But NFBC the past two weeks, I mean, you know, saves get pushed up a little bit there. So... But but even still, I mean, they 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 probably should be going a lot higher than uh, where they are listed here. Next up, we have Brandon Hughes, Robert Suarez, Jimmy Hergit, and James Karinchak. I know on our mailbag podcast, Jimmy Hergit was someone you brought up, Scott. Yeah, like I would rather the Angels go with him than Carlos Estevez, as much as the needle seems to be pointing at Estevez right now. Hergit who got nine saves down the stretch last year after they traded Rysel Iglesias, had a 248 ERA, 0.91 whip, less than a strikeout per inning, but he's kind of like a, a deception guy, like a weird delivery uh, rather than a big stuff guy. But I think he'd be effective as a closer, and in some of those deep leagues where I'm desperate for any potential saves target, I look at Hergit. James Karinchak, Bounced back nicely last year after a difficult 2021. And so if you're just looking for ratios help, Karinchak, I think that's the way to say it, not Karinchak. James Karinchak is a fine choice, though he's obviously not usurping Emmanuel Class A. Last group that we have here today, Kendall Graveman, who again could wind up closing for the White Sox. I'd be willing to bet over the past two weeks, this number is much higher as well. Uh, yes, that is 256 over the past two weeks for Kendall Graveman. Daniel Hudson, A.J. Minter, and A.J. Puck. Yeah, Hudson's, if, if Hudson's the frontrunner for the Dodgers, he should be going way higher than this. Graveman should be going higher, though I think I think there's a decent chance Reynaldo Lopez at, turns out to be the favorite going into the year. Minter's just ratios help. Puck, you know, we talked about him. It'd be nice if he became the closer, but he probably won't. All right. Position preview, Scotty. We're done. We did it. We got through all of them. So these are, look, some of the most fun, hard podcasts in terms of like the research and, and everything that we put into these. And then, you know, tomorrow we'll do a position previews recap in, in case anything has changed. We'll just go over, we'll kind of zoom by our, our strategy and our favorite targets at, at every position. Um, and then we got some other fun stuff coming up for you later on in the week. But we're going to wrap there for Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.